Greetings to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, indeed, it is a great joy for me to bring to you God's word this morning. Thank you, Jacob, for reading to us the portion. I know it was uh, a long portion, but thank you so much for reading to all of us. Um, as we continue our study, uh, we are studying gospel according to Luke, and we have covered first three chapters. And last week we looked at uh, chapter four, and we looked at how Jesus was tempted, but he was the faithful son of God who came out victorious. And today's portion is from Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 44. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 44. And church, as we start off, I want you to consider this idea of salvation. Salvation that Jesus offers. If you actually look at it, it is good news for some people, definitely. But as we study the passage, we also find that the salvation, the good news that Jesus was offering was also offensive to some. You know, Jesus brings salvation to needy people. You know, when I say needy people, these are people who understand the spiritual depravity and are in need of a savior. In fact, those are the only kind of people whom they save or whom Jesus saves. Jesus puts it in this way. In Luke chapter uh, 19 verse 10, uh, we read that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And all through the gospel, according to Luke, we'll see that Jesus from now on will call what? Sinners to repentance. Now, from now on, it is Jesus who is going to call his people, the sinners, to come and repent of their sins. And he will remind time and again that he alone is faithful to forgive the sins. There is no one else. There is absolutely no one else in the world who could forgive the sins of the people. And he is only faithful who can do that. And church, if any of you who are sitting here, and if you think you have done something, there is no way that Jesus can forgive this particular sin in your life. Or no way Jesus can intervene in my life right now because whatever I do is so dreadful. Then let me tell you this. Let me remind you this. That no one is too sinful to come to Him. There is absolutely no one is too sinful to come to Him. Bible constantly reminds us that Jesus goes after the lost. Jesus teaches that God will welcome with open arms those who come to him with a repentive heart. You know, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, we read that Jesus today also continues to seek and save those who humbly put their trust in him. Just think about it. We all are sitting here, right? We are needy. We are the outcast. We were spiritually depraved once upon a time. But now we are the recipients of God's salvation because of what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. While we study this passage, uh, we'll also find one irony. Okay, And irony is this. There are religious leaders, there are these Jewish people who seem to be so close to the things of God, who seem to be so close to the things of the religion, yet they were living lives that were in direct opposition of the gospel. You'll find that set of people also today in the passage. The message of the king, the message of Messiah was offensive to them. Today's passage is a long passage, so I have divided into two segments, verse 14 to 30 and verse 31 to verse 44. Okay, so let's go ahead. Verse 14 to 30. And here is the main point that we get. The good news of Jesus Christ is only for those who are in deep need, who are in deep spiritual need. And since this is a long passage, let me summarize it in one or two, three sentences. It's, 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 the main point is this. Anointed by the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus now proclaims that his mission will be to bring good news to the needy. And to proclaim God's acceptance only to those whom the society terms as unacceptable. You're getting it? What is Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission from now on would be to bring good news to the spiritually needy people. 
and to proclaim God's acceptance to those whom the society termed as unacceptable. Let's turn to verse 14 and 15. We read that the king, the faithful son of God, is now empowered by the Spirit to begin his mission. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all surrounding region, and he taught in the synagogues and was glorified by all. Church, as the curtain is raised in Jesus' public ministry, it is not surprising that Jesus, who was conceived by the Spirit, we read in this chapter 1, right, was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism in chapter 3. Then last week we read that he was led by the Spirit in his face off with the devil in the wilderness. And now we read that Jesus is now appearing, empowered by the Spirit to begin his ministry. You see something common here? Right from the beginning we see the Spirit of the Lord you know, enabling, conceiving, uh, you know, Jesus was conceived in the Spirit, was anointed by the Spirit, was led by the Spirit, and is now empowered by the Spirit so that Jesus could take and do the mission that was entrusted to him by God himself. You see the Trinity being involved in our salvation story. Last week, we, we learned something very important. Before Jesus could begin his ministry, he had to prove himself to be the faithful son of God in wilderness in midst of temptation. Why was that important? Because the people of Israel failed to be faithful to Yahweh in every way possible. And Jesus had to come up and prove himself that yes, he alone is the faithful son. He alone is the better Adam. And he alone is the spotless lamb who will go on the cross for each and every one of them. And as we read in the passage, we also see that he starts his ministry in Galilee. You know, it's not surprising that he's starting his ministry in Galilee, right? This is his hometown. But this period is going to be foundation for building up the base of disciples in future. Just keep this in mind. As we study along the gospel according to Luke, we'll find that Jesus' ministry in Galilee is going to be very foundational when it comes to building up base for disciples as he go on to choose disciples for himself. And here we read that Jesus goes into the synagogue and then he proclaims the word of God. You know, the first question that I have for you this morning is, what was Jesus actually preaching in the synagogue? Right? He was preaching the word of God, but what exactly were some of the things that he was touching upon? And we get this answer in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. What do we read here? And Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of kingdom is actually a good news of the kingdom of God. It is the good news message to whom? The sinners. Jesus was preaching a call to repentance. He was calling people to repentance. There was an option for them. Hey, you will be redeemed if you repent. You will be restored because this was offered by God for all those who receive Jesus. Church, we clearly see that all those who accept this offer become part of God's kingdom. John 1.12 but those who remain to uh, be in their sin and reject Jesus. Scripture is very clear. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 and 10 that you cannot be part of king, uh, God's kingdom. You cannot enter God's kingdom if you continue to live in sin. There's absolutely no way you can be part of God's kingdom. Church, another point that I want to bring out very uh, Clearly, this morning is, although grace makes this offer available to anyone who receives it, Jesus also preached in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, the narrow gate. Uh, not everyone will find it easy to enter God's kingdom. Is it because uh, God requires some impossible standard from us? No, I don't think so. God does not require impossible standards from us. But maybe because some of us do not want to repent and believe in Jesus. 
Maybe some of us do not want to acknowledge him as a savior, Messiah, King. Maybe because some of us love sin so much and it's so hard to let go of your sin and find any hope, any freedom in the message that Jesus is offering. Or maybe because for some of you, this message of the gospel of Christ is offensive as it was to some of the Jewish leaders and the people back in the Jesus day. But definitely, not all will enter the kingdom of God because many will find it difficult to enter God's kingdom because they will not repent. They will not acknowledge who God is. And there is something that is awaiting them. Church, as we go ahead, we see that this, this teaching of Jesus, right? Jesus was teaching what? The gospel of the kingdom of God. And this teaching was attracting a lot of people's attention. So much so, we see a certain group of people starts praising Jesus. But as we study ahead, we'll also find not all were persuaded to follow him and believe him. Not all. There were some group of people were so impressed with, with what Jesus was doing, so they start praising him. But soon we'll realize not all of them were persuaded to believe in what Jesus was preaching and and, and just follow him. Turn with me to verse 16 to verse 22, first part. And here we see the king himself reveals the mission to his people. King revealing his mission to his people. We see Luke giving this beautiful picture of Jesus going to the synagogue in Nazareth on a Sabbath. And in those days, if you learn a little history, we see every week in the synagogue, the custom was to read a portion of Torah or the law and then do another reading from one of the prophets. Okay, So now we see Jesus has entered the synagogue. Then he stood up to show his intention and desire to read the scripture and maybe probably give a teaching. And Jesus is given the scroll of Isaiah. Then he opens the scroll, goes all the way to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads it like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor and to send me to proclaim the liberty to the captives, to the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty to those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of Lord's favor. Church, as soon as he read this portion, he gave the scroll back to the attendee and he sat down. And as soon as he sat, the entire congregation in the synagogue, their eyes was fixed on Jesus. And Jesus in verse 21 says something very important. He says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I think Luke telling of us this story he wants to take our attention to this event in Nazareth because in this incident, the mission of Jesus is clearly revealed to his people. And what was the mission? What was the mission? He's been anointed to proclaim what? Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, and to proclaim Lord's favor to all those who are oppressed. You know, for us to understand this portion better, we need to understand the context of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 is a prophecy. Prophecy in which they were looking beyond exile, looking beyond the time when Jews were taken captives out of their own homeland in their foreign dominion. And prophecy said this, that God would anoint someone with his spirit who would come and declare great restoration to his people. You know, this captured the end time hope of the people of God that one day God himself would act on their behalf and will make all things right. One day God himself will act on their behalf and make all things right. You know, this was the prophecy that they were holding on to in exile. And if you think the specific things mentioned in verse 18 and 19, you know, these are all rep representative ideas that capture the great need and great distress, specifically that Israel faced in exile. Okay? But I think, you know, when I was studying this passage, I also thinks, uh, I think that these are true of what we humans face in this sinful and fallen world. Look at the, 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 the things that are mentioned there. The poor, the brokenhearted, 
the captive, the blind, the oppressed. You know, if you think of these troubles, these come from what? Economic, political, social, physical realms, right? These cover pretty much all the human areas of need and distress. And Jesus is saying, and he says, I have come and I have some good news for you. The time of God's favor has now arrived and he is going to restore the people back to God. Some of the things that he mentioned that he's anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. And we know, we have studied the Beatitudes. This is not just talking about the physical poverty. This is talking about people who are in poor in spirit. People who recognize the spiritual poverty, total depravity. And Jesus says, I have come for them. There is good news. I have come to save them. Church, you can be a person of great wealth. CPF is blessed with people who are doing well in the jobs, right? You can be a person of great wealth, but still be spiritually impoverished. Desperately needing to hear the preaching of the gospel this morning. Church, we all are spiritually depraved. There is nothing good in him. And we need Jesus in our life. The good news is Christ arrived. And the good news is available for the poor in spirit. Then he says, he was anointed to heal the broken heart. Do you know any doctor who can heal this broken heart? Is there anything worse than the feeling of being broken? The pain, the anguish, the agony. Jesus says there is no one. There is absolutely no one here who can heal the broken heart except me. I have come. I have come for the broken heart. Even David in Psalm 34 verse 18, he says, The Lord is near to the broken heart and he saved the crushed in spirit. Even David in deep agony and anguish cried out to this God whom he knew that he would heal the broken heart. Jesus came to heal the broken heart. Jesus also came to proclaim liberty to those who were enslaved and were in chains. But we also know that this was not just the physical enslavement. Jesus was talking about those who were held captive by Satan, who were in bondage of sin, slaves to the power of evil. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free. This was Jesus' proclamation when he was reading Isaiah. I have come to set you free. Jesus says that the, he will bring the salvation of God for all those who suffered and oppressed with sin. All those who are oppressed with sin, I have come to declare the salvation. I have come here to proclaim God's favor, the year of blessing. You know, to understand this, we need to understand the year of Jubilee, the, image, uh, the, the imagery of year of Jubilee. If you want to study, you can go to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8 to 17, where it talks about the 50th year being year of Jubilee, where all the death were nullified. All that you owed was nullified. Just as the year of Jubilee initiated a new start, Jesus is now proclaiming a new start through his offer of divine deliverance. Now Jesus is offering God's favor for you. The time has come. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come. Now God will bring his people back to his rightful rule. He will reconcile them to himself and he today is granting them Lord's favor. But look in both the portion, Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2 and also Luke chapter 4 verse 18 and 19. Do you see one difference? Jesus stops at the ear of Lord's favor. He does not go ahead and read the next line that was mentioned in Isaiah. And the day of the vengeance of our Lord. I think Jesus was very intentional to end his reading on the, on the subject of grace. Praise God. You know, he clearly says that his purpose of first coming was to proclaim the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. That was the purpose of his first coming. The day of vengeance is coming soon. We know when we read Revelation, the John's uh, vision that he gets, we know that the day of vengeance will come. Definitely there is the day that is set apart when Messiah would come back and he would judge the world. But now is the time of grace. And in this time of grace, 
all who embraces Messiah as the Savior will find what? Will find mercy. Will find mercy. Jesus is faithful to forgive. Church, if any of you sitting here is looking for some sort of deliverance this morning, some sort of escape or some sort of comfort from your sin, that there is some hope for you, then there is hope. Because Jesus, when he read Isaiah, he said, time of grace is now. If you repent and believe in him, you will find what? Mercy. Jesus is faithful to forgive. Then Jesus, uh, then, uh, Jesus reads from verse 22 to 30 and he says that the king would be rejected by his own people. The king would be rejected by his own people. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. You know, this is one of the common portion that we read uh, on almost every week, right? It's, Isaiah spoke of the future one who would become the sin bearer and suffering servant of Israel. Right? And what is written about this suffering servant? He was despised and we esteem him not. Can we turn to one more portion? John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 10 and 11. Look at what Apostle John writes. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came down and his own people did not receive him. And this is what is exactly going to happen in this passage. You know, there were some who were saying that this claim that Jesus is making, it seems to be so grand for a humble son of a carpenter from Nazareth. And then there were some who were very skeptical and they wanted Jesus to do the same miracles what he had done in other places. And right away Jesus calls their unbelief and he responds in three points. Okay, just do some observation along with me. First thing that Jesus says, he, he cites a proverb. Okay. He says, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have done in the past, in other region, do it here right now. You know, Jesus understood that they wanted a sign. They wanted Jesus to come big in their life. They had heard about the rumors of the miraculous works that he has done in Galilee. They wanted him to do the miracles and show his power here with them. Basically, what they were saying was, if you are Messiah, give us a sign right here, right now. Church, when I was meditating on this passage, I realized that many a times we also desire Jesus to come big in our lives, don't we? Don't we look for great signs from Him on a daily basis? Don't we then in our actions show our unfaithfulness and doubt? Maybe some of you sitting here are doubting Him right now because Jesus is not coming big in your life. Maybe some of you are expecting big things in your life from Jesus Maybe you want Jesus to come big in your problems, in your sufferings, in your struggle with jobs, in your struggle with your health. You want Jesus to come big in your life right now. Maybe some of you sitting here want Jesus to come big. But let me tell you this. Church, there is no greater sign than the cross and the empty tomb. There is no greater sign than the cross and the empty tomb. Why do I say this? Because Jesus came big in your life. Already, he went to the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty that you were supposed to pay. And he died for your sins and my sins. Jesus came big in your life. Father's wrath for the punishment of sins, our sins was upon him. But church, Jesus is God. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over death. There is an empty tomb to prove that he is living, he is alive and he is sovereign over every situation. He is sovereign over your life right now. He is sovereign and he is active in your life right now. Church, if you are looking for some great sign, let me tell you, there is no greater hope that you can cling on to than the cross and the empty tomb. That you have a living God and he is alive and he is at work. Second thing that Jesus says is that the prophet will be without honor in his own homeland. Jesus says how a prophet is without honor in his own land. You know, time and again when you study the Old Testament, you know that God sent his prophets, his per, uh, you know, person, chosen one to go to the people of Israel and, and proclaim what God wanted them to hear. 
but we see they ended up rejecting the prophets because of their own sinful and unbelieving heart and that's the reality but look at the irony here jesus who was anointed to proclaim the year of lord's favor to the people did not receive favor from his own people jesus was anointed to go and proclaim that the year of lord's favor is upon you but he never received any favor in return church when it comes to our relationship with jesus uh, scripture is very clear that there is no neutrality in our relationship with jesus it's only black and white there is no neutral ground okay why do i say this if we are not with him scripture says we are against him if we are not his disciples then we are his enemy natural state our natural state in which we are born scripture tells us that that state is of enmity by nature we are god's enemy so is there any hope for us if by birth we are what god's enemy is there any hope for you and for me what does the scripture says scripture reminds us again and again the gospel will remind us the letters to the churches will remind us that it took a supernatural work of grace to change the disposition of our hearts from being enemy to being adopted children by ourselves it was not possible by ourselves it was not possible to to to, to, to change the disposition to change this relationship status to change ourselves from being enemy to being children it took some supernatural work of grace and we know this grace was jesus god sent his only begotten son to die for you and die for me supernatural work of grace that changes the disposition of our heart and it makes us from being enemy to being adopted children then jesus gets very specific in his third response uh look at verse uh 25 to 27 look at verse 25 to 27 he singles out the period of elijah and elisha you know this was one of the most lowest apostate period of nation's history you want to learn about it uh make a note if you have pen or paper you can make a note first kings chapter 17 and 18 and second kings chapter 5 verse 1 to 14 it speaks about these two events but these two events as soon as jesus quotes Jews were super offensive and there were two reasons why Jews felt this was very offensive of Jesus quoting of these two examples one it contained uh, it compared the current era to the one of the most least spiritual periods of Israel's history it compared their own current era with one of the least spiritual time in their history and second way it somehow suggested that the gentiles who were immensely disliked by the jews were somehow more worthy of jesus's ministry than they were and as soon as jews hear this right they they are they are they are hearing jesus and it's so offensive to them it's super offensive to them look at these two examples a gentile widow was provided with every replenishing jars of flour and oil by whom elijah and what was the time period when the nation was under experiencing god's judgment a great famine was upon the land for 3 and a half years and who was provided with things a gentile widow and what was the reason for the judgment of god on the nation of israel because there was idol worship and the second example that jesus quotes is of a gentile soldier you remember naaman a gentile soldier he was cured of leprosy a disease that jews considered unclean so much so if anyone got leprosy they will put them outside of the city gates the camp they didn't want to mingle with such people and jesus says elisha god's prophet healed naaman somehow god's favor was upon the gentile in one of the most least spiritual periods in the history of israel What is Jesus point here? I think it's very clear that these people, these Jews and the religious leaders who would appear to be so close to Jesus, 
even rubbing shoulders with Jesus on a daily basis, fail to receive God's blessing because they refuse to take Jesus at his word and trust him in midst of the greatest spiritual need. Think about this. First century Jews believed that they were favored by God. Okay, They had this pride and arrogance. And therefore they believed they were saved since they are favored by God. Simply because of their ancestor history. You remember Charlton took the sermon from the previous uh, series that we were doing. Faith is not genetic. Remember? Faith is not genetic. Just because your parents believe does not make you part of God's kingdom. Right? But these people, these Jews somehow believe that they are favored by God and therefore they are saved just because of their lineage. And Jesus says, you fail to receive the blessing of God because of this very reason. And as soon as Jews hear this, they are they're filled with anger. Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief, but instead of submitting themselves in repentance, we see that they are filled with anger because of their pride. They are filled with anger because of their pride. And church, uh, I want to remind you and me something about the sin of pride this morning. Think about this. Pride by very nature, what does it do? It confuses us. So much so that it causes us not to understand the truths that God wants us to you know, spend and meditate upon. Pride makes us ignorant. So much so that it makes us depend on ourselves than to depend on God. And what is the result of it? Pride makes us go as far away from God. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 10 verse 4. Look at what Psalm says about pride. In his pride, the wicked does not see God. In all his thought, there is no room for God. Church, if you want to know the reality, pride has kept many people from accepting Jesus as Savior. And why is that? Think about it. Admitting sin, acknowledging that in our own strength we cannot do anything to inherit the kingdom of God. You know, this is a constant stumbling block for someone who struggles with pride. Because a prideful person will always believe that he can do it by himself. He doesn't need any help. Scripture is clear. Pride will not allow you to experience salvation. And this is what was happening with the religious leaders, the Jews, because they were struggling with pride. They believed there was something good in them. But scripture reminds us of total depravity. There's absolutely no good in you. You are born in sin. And the wages of sin is death. Church, it is not going to be our wealth. It is not going to be our health. It is not going to be our worldly successes. It is not going to be your religious observances. You're coming to Sunday every week, taking, uh, you know, taking the box. It's not going to be any of that that will ever secure you God's favor. Then what is that one thing that can ever secure you God's favor? It's Christ alone. It's Jesus that makes you secure God's favor. It is only through Jesus that we find favor in eyes of God. I meet a lot of youngsters. They want to strive hard in order to impress God. And when they fail, they get so disheartened. Church, let me tell you this. You don't have to impress God anymore. Why? Because Jesus has impressed God on our behalf when he went on the cross and paid the price for you and for me. Finally, we see in verse uh, 29 and 30, that they were so angry that they wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff, right? And we see this miraculous escape. He just passed through the mist. You know, Luke does not offer any details of this escape. It looks miraculous, but he does not give us any details of this escape. I think it's not important. What was important was he escaped because his time to die had not yet come. The mission was still pending. His work on this earth was still pending. The work about what father had instilled upon him was still pending. So he just passed through the mist and continued his ministry. The second portion for today is verse 31 to 44. We see that the king has come, Messiah has come and he holds the utmost authority. 
Jesus holds the authority. And let me summarize the main idea. Jesus holds the power and authority to set person free from captivity and heal sickness as part of the proclamation of the good news of God's reign or God's kingdom. What was Jesus' mission? To proclaim, to, uh, to, to set people free from captivity and to heal sickness, which was the part of proclamation of God's good news of God's reign or kingdom. Look at verse 31 and 32. What do we see about Jesus' authority? We see the king's authority as a teacher. Verse 31 and 32. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was preaching them on a Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Church, this term authority is used to describe the authoritative, sovereign authoritative decision of a king or a judge. Think about it. The word authority there is actually describing the sovereign authoritative decision of a king or a judge. So when people saw, they saw this authority in his teaching. In Jesus' time, there was this complex Jewish interpretation of scripture you know, that had risen. And if we see this picture in the New Testament, we see these Jewish leaders of the law had built up human traditions, human teachings, and it was never to serve people. Or it was never to bring people to, the, uh, to be enlightened with the truths about God. It was always to serve themselves and their selfish ideas, their ideologies, their tradition. But look at the contrast when Jesus was handling the scriptures. We see he was explaining them, he was applying them and he spoke with what? Clarity and power and that just cut through the fog and all confusion. And Jesus ensured what? That the will of God was made clear to the people. The will of God was made clear to the people. When this Jewish religious leaders, when they were handling the scripture, they were nullifying the authority of God. But when Jesus handled the scripture, he ensured that the will of God was made clear to his people. Church, Jesus taught as the king with complete authority. And this is true of Jesus' teaching even today. You and I are under the authority of the word of God. And it holds today that the word holds the utmost authority. And to nullify the authority of the word is a grave sin. Church, this word of God that you and I have, if you nullify the authority that this word possesses, then I think you are in danger of committing grave sin in the eyes of God. Do you recognize Jesus and his authority? Do you recognize his word as the ultimate authority? Or you, do you resent his claim on your life this morning? Church, I, I, I have always asked people, and this is, this is something very interesting. Many people find it very hard to be under the authority of Jesus. Because they find it, Jesus and his teaching to be very suffocating. Okay, Christianity is too hard. But let me tell you, Jesus' authority is not an oppressive authority. All throughout the gospel, all throughout the scripture, when you study, you see Jesus used his power, authority only to help people, only to serve people, only to restore people back to God. You know, Jesus never used his authority to tear down people. We live in the society, like we, we live in a society that cracks sarcastic jokes, tearing down people with the word. But Jesus is never doing that. His authority is not an oppressive authority. So I would encourage, be glad for Jesus' life and we submit to his authority who is the creator and our savior. Jesus in verse 33 and 35 also uh, you know, demonstrates that the king has authority over demons. We are told that there was this man who had the unclean spirit inside him. And here is the surprising thing, right? While people were finding very hard to relate to the identity of Jesus, here we see a demon proclaiming who Jesus is. Look at in his rant what all he says. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, look at another title that he uses, the Holy One of God. And look at the question that he's asking. 
what business do we have with each other in other words what do we have in common look at another question which is very rhetorical maybe a sarcasm or contempt answer have you come to destroy us really you saw the questions that the demon is asking the messiah what stands out in this episode is jesus control the total control over the situation and over the demon how do we say that because as soon as jesus rebuked the demon demon came out and was gone and he left the man jesus rebuked the demon and demon left the man immediately church is satan at work even today have you thought of it turn with me to first peter chapter 5 verse 8 first peter chapter 5 verse 8 what do we read that that the satan prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to be devoured can we also turn to second corinthians uh chapter 4 verse 4 there says that satan is blinding the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ church we have to be careful we need to remember that the rescue that we need from satan does not often uh is a rescue that we need from an external enemy okay sometimes satan finds a willing partner inside of us have you thought of it who is that partner that satan has very often satan finds the willing partner and that is our own sinful heart you know think about it our own rebellion against god but there is always hope available for you and for me because satan saves jesus saves us from satan by causing us to be born again you know this is the hope that you and i can cling on to last week we learned about jesus being tempted in the wilderness yes or no was jesus victorious yes now we are victorious in him we are victorious in him why because he caused us to be born again he died in our place so that we might be forgiven of our sin now satan can no longer accuse you and me before the father jesus gives us a new heart so that we no longer willingly you know participate in satan's rebellion church you and i can live this faithful life and submit our lives to this master jesus our king because jesus caused us to be born again jesus is victorious and he holds the ultimate authority finally in verse 38 and 41 uh we see jesus authority over the sickness you know interestingly look at how luke describes the healing here what did jesus do jesus rebuked the fever You know this is the same word that is used in verse 35 when he rebuked the demon. This is the same word that is used when Jesus was traveling with his disciples in the sea of Galilee and there was this great storm and everyone was so scared Jesus comes out and he rebuked the sea and the wind and everyone was astonished who is this that even the wind and the sea obeys who is this that even the demons obey who is this who is rebuking the fever church if you think about it only the creation should listen to its creator yes or no only the creation should listen to its creator and jesus authority is not the authority of just mere man he is god himself second person in trinity and it is with that authority he spoke and the world came into existence and today with that authority he holds everything together it is jesus and his word and that has the ultimate authority think about the sickness you know sickness and diseases are evidence that there is something definitely wrong in this world they are not p- normal part of god's kingdom in fact the bodies are failing bodies which deteriorate and eventually we die is a reminder that this world stands under the judgment of god see in god's kingdom this is not going to be the reality but since the world stands under the judgment of god death is the reality suffering is reality the world is under judgment but praise god because one day jesus would come again what is going to happen on that day 
we will get our old bodies? Yes? No? No, we will get glorified bodies. There won't be any more suffering. There won't be any more death. We will be in His kingdom forever. Amen. We wait for that day. We wait for that day to come. So that Jesus could bring His kingdom to its fullness. Verse 40 and 41 pretty much says that Jesus kept on doing these miracles. Kept on going and taking out the evil spirit. Kept on going and healing people. And in all this, there was one thing that came out very clear, that Jesus is the Christ. Look at the verse. There is that article there. Underline that. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. And there is no one apart from Him. There is no one apart from Him. Let's move on to the last three verses. Verse 42 to 44. And Jesus declares that He must move on. That he must move on. Uh, we get a sense that people were very happy if Jesus would set up his little kingdom in that place and he would save everyone from the enemies and he would ongoing basis, he would heal them. People would have been very happy. <laughs> Jesus, they wanted people, Jesus to set up the camp there. Be their own God in Capernaum. Don't go anywhere. That's what the intention of Jesus, uh, intention of the people. But look at what Jesus says. The priority right now is the proclamation of the gospel. Others must hear about this. Because now is the time to repent. Now is the time to consider faith so that your sins might be forgiven and you will be made right with God. You know, we cannot restrict gospel to one particular region. Gospel has to go out. And that's what Jesus says. Others must hear about this. Right now is time to hear. Right now is time to share the gospel. Right now is time to respond in repentance. Right now is the time to respond in faith. Right now is time to be reconciled with God. Because now is the time of grace. Day of vengeance is coming soon. But now is the time of grace. Church, if you really think about it, I didn't speak anything new this morning. We listen to this every week. But this was Jesus' mission. And it was true about Jesus' mission then. It is true about the gospel proclamation now. If you are looking for something apart from the gospel, I have some bad news for you. There is nothing more than the gospel that I can offer you. There is nothing more than the hope in Christ that we can cling on to than the cross and the empty tomb. Because empty tomb gives us this hope that he is going to return, come back, the glorious king. So this morning, here is the application for you, you know, rather than a simple message. And it is one for anyone who has not accepted Christ. Anyone who does not know this king. Anyone who does not know who holds the entire world in his hand. And who paid this price. So it is for them. If you confess your sins right now and cast your hope in Christ alone, in His righteousness, in His death, that took your sin, His resurrection grants new life. If you put your hope in that, then you will find God's favor today and forever. But if any of you refuse Him, then there is a day coming when He will come and this time it will not be to grant God's favor. This time it will be to bring vengeance and judgment upon those who fail to put their trust in Him. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. I know in church there are a lot of Hindi speaking people who may not understand what I said this morning. So let me summarize for you the gospel uh, in, in your own language. Prabhu ka vachan hume do baate sikhata hai ki hum paapi hai aur paapo ki majdori mrityu hai. Par Prabhu ka vachan hume ye bhi bolta hai Yohanna uska teen sola mein ki Prabhu ne hum se itna priyar kiya ki usne ek apne lote putr ko is sansar mein bhej diya. Taki jo kuch us pe vishwaas karega wo anant jeevan paayega. Wo nash nahi hooga parantu wo anant jeevan paayega. मेरे प्यारे भाई और बहनों प्रभु का वचन कहता है कि वो आएगा वो वापस आएगा लेकिन इस बार जब वो आएगा वो राज करने आएगा 
और जिन्होंने उस पर विश्वास नहीं किया है उसे वो सजा देगा पर जिन्होंने उस पर विश्वास किया है वो अनंत जीवन पाएंगे प्रभु का वचन ये साफ साफ बताता है कि प्रभु में जीवन है प्रभु में ही जीवन है फॉर ऑल दोज बिलीवर्स लेट मी पुट इट इन दिस वे कंसिडर योर स्पिरिचुअल पॉवर्टी दिस मॉर्निंग लेट नॉट प्राइड टेक ओवर यू टर्न टू द गॉस्पल डेली एवरी मोमेंट ऑफ योर लाइफ फाइंड होप इन द क्रॉस इन दी एम टी टूम Consider Jesus' authority in your life this morning, for His authority is not oppressive. Repent and believe now, for Christ is faithful, and no one is too sinful to come to Him. Jesus is faithful. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you for your word this morning, for the clarity of the gospel that it presented this morning. thank you for the great reminder of who we are the sinful being spiritually depraved there is nothing good in us thank you for reminding who you are a holy righteous just god thank you god for reminding us since you are a holy god there is no sin in you since you are a just god you cannot stand sin go unpunished thank you lord for reminding us that you sent your son lord jesus christ to die for your sin uh, die for our sins thank you for the reminder that the wrath of the father for the penalty of sins that we were supposed to pay christ took it all christ paid it all thank you for the reminder that the gospel cannot be restricted it has to be taken out to the ends of the world Thank you for the reminder that even though we are saved we need the gospel every day. Lord your desire is for us to pursue holiness and we today acknowledge that we can only do that when we cling on to the gospel live our life of repentance and faith. Lord as we depart Lord I pray that may you be with each and every one of us. Allow us to live a life of repentance. Allow us to find hope on the cross and the empty tomb. that gives us this assurance that one day you will come and all our suffering will go away all our pain will go away lord you will give this glorious bodies to us and we will be ruling with you one day face to face oh what a glorious day that would be lord we look forward to that day we look forward to your coming but till that time you tarry to come lord allow us to live a life that is pleasing in your sight in light of the gospel in jesus name we pray amen